From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you? Good to have you back. And uh, are you dug out from the from the blizzard we had a couple days ago? <laughs> yes, dug out from the blizzard, uh, doing well. Uh, about the only thing, though, is uh, not running yet. So, you know, I'm going to cram for the Krispy Kreme run, it, it appears, this year. But, hey, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking of the Krispy Kreme run, we, we have a little bit of housekeeping. I have, I have two things on the housekeeping list today. The first one uh, is is the Krispy Kreme run, um, kind of our, our ask. Um, you know, we are basically two weeks away from the run. Uh, we're a little uh, slower this year in terms of donations. We're at about 56%. So, um, folks, as always, you know, if if you feel it in your heart, you want to make a donation, help some, help some children, help their families. Um, you know, it's always a good, it's a good thing. hundred percent of the donations, hundred percent of the proceeds go to the North Carolina children's hospital. Um, we love to represent the community. So anything you can do, uh, to make a donation, $1, $5, $10, whatever, uh, it might be possible. We would, uh, we would love to go represent the community that way. Um, and, yep, that one's and on- to all our listeners out in the Raleigh area, um, if you're interested in actually signing up for this thing, you still can. And we'd love to run with you as well. Yeah, it'd be fun. Come come run, come walk, come sit and eat some donuts with us. So, Aaron, I, I was looking at the calendar, and uh, February 3rd is sort of an interesting day. So February 3rd is the Krispy Kreme run race. And uh, I just noticed, it just got announced, February 3rd, tickets go on sale for the summer Def Leppard slash uh, Journey Tour. Def Leppard finally put all their music out on all the streaming services. You can go get it now. Uh, what's your thoughts on Def Leppard in general? I know, well, I, know you're a, I know you're a heavy metal, hard rock kind of guy. <laughs> well, if they, if they gave in to streaming and they're going on tour, it means they need money again, yeah, first of all. True, um, true. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan for years, and I've never seen them. I've seen a lot of concerts, and they, they, are, they are on the list, and I haven't seen them yet, so I'm almost definitely there in some way, shape, or form. They're coming here, Charlotte and Columbia, South Carolina. I've already checked. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in. All right. For Def and Journey. Good, good, good. Well, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce our guest and we may have to bring him into this, this conversation I want to have. And, and it's not cloud related, but you know what? It's our show and we can, we can fill the time and we want to. Uh, so, uh, good to have on, uh, our, our sort of chief DevOps slash SRE field correspondent, Rob Hirschfeld. Rob, great to have you back on the show again. Brian, Aaron, it's great to be back. I, I love what you've done with the massive studios, by the way. Thank you. Uh, yeah, nice, nice additions. I can see where Tyler set up his desk and, uh, I really appreciate the uh, uh, Kubernetes-themed Krispy uh, Kremes. I think that's a really nice touch. Thank you, thank you. Well, listen, Rob, <laughs> well you've you've been around. You're you're sort of of the same uh, same genre as us. Were you a uh, were you a fan of of music with loud guitars in it at one point in time? <laughs> I, I have I have indulged in that. Uh, I, I think I went to the Kiss concert when it was uh, touring in Austin. Okay, <laughs> not that long ago, actually. <laughs> so, so I got to ask you guys: like, if, if you had to put, uh, so, so you know, like Aaron said, um, every band hits a point where they got to go out on the road and, and try and uh, make some money to pay for their their fourth castle and their eighth Ferrari and whatever they're doing. Where would you guys put Def Leppard in the sort of pantheon of of heavy metal hard rock bands? Would they be in your top ten? Would they not be in your top ten? Oh man, I'm gonna do it almost by song from that perspective. But totally, of course. There's, you know, they're 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 the state. They're one of the staples. Um, but you know, Led Zeppelin's 
always going to be at the top of my heart for that. But more, more, more relate to, and then Kiss is just a the, uh, such a great theme show. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I, I know you like to make running tracks of these, although you're not running. Like, where would you put some of these bands, and wh- what would be on your list of maybe not to run to, but to go, you know, get out some uh, yeah. aggression? So for me, Def Leppard is is top five without a doubt. Um, yeah, Led Zeppelin's up there, Metallica is up there, Guns N' Roses is up there. Um, I actually run to just yeah this this heavy metal mix that is i don't know three four hundred songs that i've been curating for the last 20 years or so in apple music <laughs> and mp3s so um yeah and those are all uh, definite staples yeah uh, in, in the rotation very good <laughs> and journey is too by the way i don't want to i don't want to so you know that was only <laughs> half of that tour we talked about i love some journey and even the new dude who you know the most amazing story how they found the new singer to replace replace steve perry i actually like you know he has his critics but i really like him too yeah 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 so if we uh, if we end up going to that we'll be be interested to see that one I, I i haven't seen the new journey singer i know he was at a cisco live event a couple of years ago and uh yeah the he sounds exactly like him which is the, the really crazy part uh but um if you, if yeah, you don't if, 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 and if you, youtube in like thailand or something yeah like we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for you those of you that don't know the story and are kind of into music history and stuff uh how how journey found their uh their new sort of uh, replacement singer so it's a crazy story well listen um enough uh, enough donut talk and enough uh, heavy metal talk which maybe we should just do a donut and heavy metal podcast um <laughs> rob it's good to, it's, go together it does go together rob it's good to have you back um so I, I wanted to i wanted to talk to you about this this thing and we brought it up on the on the year-end show and and i i sort of brought it up and i and i and i only bring it up because i, I keep hearing these sort of rumblings and you see articles written and um and it, and it kind of goes along this 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 line of thinking, which is, uh, you know, sometimes we have these these kind of really broad technology topics that we talk about, and you, you know, there's lots of different points of view out there. But like around DevOps, the the sort of spectrum that I see, and this is you know obviously way simplistic, but on one end you've got sort of Gene Kim and the Gene Kim book series and so forth, which is. Uh, DevOps is Nirvana. Uh, the companies that do DevOps are, you know, a thousand times better than you. Um, you know, all this, you know, like everything's perfect. On the other end, you have, you know, just pain and misery. Well, you, the other, the other end of the spectrum has sort of become the DevOps days tour. You know, all the events that are out there, and those have yeah. sort of evolved to be very. Um, you know, they're very touchy feely. It's a lot about, you know, do we have empathy for our coworkers and do our bosses understand us? And then, and then it feels like the reality is somewhere in between. And so I, I kind of wanted to bring you on as our, as our chief DevOps correspondent to say like, where, where is DevOps? Cause it's, it's not something you can buy. It's not something you can just push a button. You can't get it as a SaaS service. Like why are people starting to question if DevOps is a thing? It's a great question. And it, it is a real dilemma um, because I, I think DevOps as we conceived about it, you know, five years ago, and as we talked about it, is not what DevOps is today, which is what leads to this sort of confusion about it. Um, And it definitely has a cultural component to it, where companies that have embraced sort of these lean methodologies that that DevOps days end up being all about, um, those companies do see benefits. It's almost like going back to the 90s with manufacturing, when people started doing just-in-time manufacturing and you know, it transformed the companies that did it, and they they would talk about it and talk about how great they were. Um, and in those ca- in that case, it is a very real thing. The benefits are very real. Gene is not, you know, 
uh, hyping up something that's not there. It, it's a manufacturing process change that has, just like it had in physical manufacturing, has real benefits uh, for software and IT processes. So it's it's totally a real thing. But there's a but, of course. Um, the the thing that we like to talk about as technologists are tools, and the DevOps community has had trouble getting the tools side of this conversation sort of to make as much sense um, as it as it had before. Because saying automate all things, which is a great DevOps mantra, is it, people sort of go scratch their head and they're like, well, I, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, or they look at uh, what they're doing individually, and then that doesn't apply to somebody else, and so they they end up you end up at a DevOps days, and somebody uses Chef, and somebody uses Puppet, and somebody uses Salt, and somebody says that's all crazy. I use Ansible, um, and they're all right, but they don't they can't help each other um, because the the conversation, the commonality in that conversation goes straight back to culture, and that's what that's where the we get these. Um, yeah, you know, they they feel very emotional. Uh, you know, DevOps days where people are like, "Oh, I can't get my boss to understand the value proposition," and it's a sort of this lonely battle. Well, so Rob, let me let me kind of add maybe a little to that as well. It's it, first of all, I agree completely, but something else I've also kind of noticed um, in addition to that that kind of tool set is this idea of labels and titles as well you know it it's sometimes it's I, I felt like it was hard to solve the problem because it was hard to quantify the problem um whether it was through tools or whether it was through titles and 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 job labels and things like that and so um this this next uh concept kind of came along which was sre site reliably excuse me site reliability engineering is at the end of the day, is this just a new, better term for DevOps? And or is everyone just, you know, is this an evolution of all of this thinking into something we can put a name on and some process and tools behind? Oh boy, it's a, it is a great question. Um, and and actually, I've done a little bit of talking about this in this sort of DevOps versus SRE conversation. And, and in some ways, I would step back into. Some people felt that DevOps was just a glorified name for sysadmin, um, and you know they you you end up generating a huge amount of hate in the community if you say you are a DevOps engineer. Um, and so, because what what DevOps is supposed to mean is it's supposed to mean this integration and shared work between developers and operators and other stakeholders too. So security. So you have DevSecOps uh, coming into this process, or you have um, tests, you have product management, you have users, right? The, the idea of DevOps culturally was that it was supposed to represent this blending of responsibilities so that we stopped siloing our organizations and doing all these handoffs. And so you, you get a lot of um, uh, pushback if, if you try and say I'm a DevOps engineer, I am a person doing this job um, because it, there is no job for it. It's not supposed to be a job. Site reliability engineering is Google's definition of a job that incorporates a lot of DevOps principles um, as this sort of systems level thinking. And so Google did a really nice job. They came out with a book about a year ago. Um, 
actually over a year ago now, um, that talked about their internal process for a department called Site Reliability Engineering that tried to fix their sysops problem. Um, and if you think about Google, Site Reliability Engineering can be a horrible name. Um, you get into f- fights about it. Um, all naming is hard. Uh, and some people prefer System Reliability Engineering uh, engineering instead of Site. For Google, it's how did you keep the site up? Is that end user experience right? And then if you you click back from that and you're like, okay, well, if keeping my site up means my data center has to be built and automated and robust and I have to monitor it and I have to be able to observe when there's problems and I have to get the developers to fix bugs quickly when there's there's issues and I have to test it. And you, know, you, you end up with this huge... Um, you know, system-wide thinking that goes into that. But at the end of the day, somebody is keeping the lights on at the data center, and Google um, defines that that group as a site reliability engineer. Um, and there's there's a ton of, of I'll pause for a second for to to take other questions, but we can we we can and should deconstruct site reliability engineering as a role um, that implements DevOps thinking more broadly in organizations. So is it safe to say, and we can go into the details in a second, but I do want to ask a follow-up before we go into those details. So it's safe to say SRE is almost an, an, an expansion of that concept in some ways. Um, but in just a, like a commentary about the DevOps engineer thing specifically, and, and you know, like DevOps certifications and DevOps in a title, and, and like you were saying, it, it's really more of a, a fluid process. And it almost became, in my mind, a little bit, a little bit like Fight Club, like you couldn't talk about it, right? Um, and and it, it just I'm laughing with you. Yes, it just got a little. It just got a little squarely, and and maybe SRE is both an expansion of or the terms, an evolution of the terms, and it seems safe to talk about. <laughs> well, well it's, a, it's a it's a person with a job and a job with a definition. I mean, this is like like when we would talk about DevOps tools, people's eyes would turn red. Um, and so you would you would want to say, oh, I'm using Chef and Puppet or Salt and Ansible, whatever whatever automation packaging you wanted to use, and and you would say, and I'm you know doing DevOps with it, and and smoke would start filling the room um, from people grinding their teeth. It that wasn't productive, and I and, and I I have a blanket statement, right? I I don't believe in DevOps shaming. Don't tell people they're using the <laughs> word wrong. Don't do it. it's it's just not helpful. Lately, I've been really excited because you can say I'm an SRE and people know that you mean I do DevOps type work and there's no it, it sort of bypasses that part of the conversation, which is great. Well, but there it, aren't SRE tools for that. In, I, I haven't seen a market of SRE tools pop up either. Right. Well, it, it, and it kind of it, it kind of hits the other side of the, the, the coin, right, where you're saying, you know, you're sort of laughing when Aaron said, well, you know, DevOps doesn't it doesn't fit a title. It doesn't whatever. Like, I almost wonder if the, you know, we're we're still sort of, we still sort of get enamored with, okay. Um, you know, somebody like Netflix or, or Werner Vogels at Amazon, you know, says something like, well, you know, the new world is you write the code, you support it. And, and I, and I really wonder, like, we've all heard that statement forever, you know, just like we've heard people like Mark Zuckerberg say, like, you know, go fast and break things and so forth. And it's almost like people are art of, people are afraid to raise their hand and go like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, we're not doing that. Like, we don't, we just don't have developers that want to wear a pager and our ops people, whether they're called SREs or whatever, they don't write code. 
Like you're, you're a unicorn or an elephant or whatever. Like, I mean, is there some reality to that? Like people just didn't want to raise their hand and go bullshit. I don't, I don't buy into that. That's not realistic. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you bring that up. Cause I, I think that that's a fallacy. I think that full stack engineers are a unicorn. Um, I'm sorry about bruising your full stack engineers resume and ego and things like that. But, but the reality is, is that if you can't start building an application until you find a person who can understand every piece of that stack from the bios up or, and I know that people define full stack engineer a whole bunch of ways, but it, it's not, you, you can't find a fleet of full stack engineers to then go build an application. Um, we build applications by having some segmentation of concerns. And so the whole serverless and another term that makes people just go nuts, the, the whole serverless um, movement in a way is, is developers saying, I don't want to mess with infrastructure anymore. Um, and it doesn't mean that there isn't any infrastructure. <laughs> what it means is that, the, that you've segmented your concerns. So developers can worry about code pipelines, you know, quality, shipping code, monitoring it, doing all the things they still have to do, owning that code into delivery, but not owning the responsibility for the infrastructure. And so I think there's a big degree of which operators and top flight operators who really understand, and I would call those SREs, who really understand the the infrastructure side of this equation are very much needed, um, have a lot of play in how the things get built and what gets done. And it, it's a mistake to think that you're going to hire developers and have them manage infrastructure. Um, it just that's not that's not how they're incented, right? They're trying to build features, not necessarily drive reliability and, and manage and monitor the site. Right. right. <clears throat> now, now, kind of following up on that, being less less blasphemous. Um, you know, people, it doesn't matter. Everyone shut off the I podcast. Love being They're so mad at <laughs> no, 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 no. I being my, I, I'm, I'm poking at myself more than anything. I, you know, like we, 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 we heard, we heard, you know, years ago, uh, Netflix would, would give talks, Adrian would give talks and he would go, yeah, we, we do microservices. And then you, you sort of had this, you know, the, the, the chorus came out. Well, if Netflix does microservices, everybody should do microservices. And, and now you've got SRE, which, on on one hand, you know, you can look at it and you go, wow, it, you know, it is a nice progression because you can define it as a role. People aren't afraid to call it, a, you know, like for it to be their job title. But in this case, you know, it's coming from Google and, and we've all sort of learned over the last, you know, five, six, seven years of trying to chase, you know, building clouds and so forth. Like not everybody has Google problems or Google scale problems or whatever. Like is, is SRE going to be something that is really kind of only useful for Google or do, do you get a sense that, you know, what's in there is adaptable to people that aren't Google that, you know, are in, uh, you know, Texas or in Ohio or in, you know, like aren't in, you know, Silicon Valley web scale companies. So it's a hundred percent adaptable and it's unfortunate a little bit because, you know, Google puts so much wind behind these sales that there's a tendency to, think of SRE as Google process. Um, I had a really interesting, I did a video with Charity Majors, um, brilliant SRE, brilliant, uh, doing a lot of observability work. Um, and I, I give you a link for the show notes. Uh, it's really short, but she was very tied up in, oh, that's Google, we don't like it. A lot of people don't believe in Google's models. And I think if you decompose what SRE is trying to accomplish and sort of say, yeah, I don't have to be at Google scale to have pay equity between operations and engineering, right? The E is for engineer. And so that, 
you know, something as simple as pay equity between operations and engineering means that you establish equivalence in the organization. So operators can stand up and say, and, and you might say, they could do this without pay equity. Pay equity makes a sense a big signal. Um, that the operators can stop and say, this is not ready for production. We are not going to put this in. You haven't done all the work that we need to manage and sustain it. We're building Kubernetes infrastructure, and you need to use our Kubernetes infrastructure and monitor it in a way that we can help you. Um, those are all really important things. And that's a lot of what, if it, when you peel back what SRE, as defined by Google, and uh, the market's sort of doing its own things with SRE now. Um, but you know, they, they said things very clearly about having engineers, site reliability engineers, have control, be able to stop an infrastructure, have a, a, a budget where developers can't walk away from a project if, there's, if their defects are above a certain rate. Um, also, and, and expect operators to be writing coding automation so that they're not falling behind, right? Limit technical debt. There's some really basic concepts that up-level an operations team that are universal, right? That, that I think when you look at what Gene Kim is saying about continuous deployment and lean, those are exactly what he's getting at in, in everything he talks about, what those winning organizations have been able to do. Um, so you might not call it an SRE, but it's, that's what you're doing. That's, that's how you're empowering these operations teams. Well, and let me ask a follow-up to that because, again, this theme of <clears throat> relating it to almost like non-Silicon Valley, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there is a lot of folks that listen to this show that are infrastructure and, and ops-centric people. And, you know, we've been talking about it for years of, okay, learning automation and learning some basic programming, you know, something even as simple as Python, PowerShell, and just scripting in general. Um, but at least to what I've heard so far is SREs are often described as as almost programmers living in an ops world as opposed to infrastructure people kind of moving forward into programming. And so can folks that are out there that are infrastructure and ops backgrounds, can they evolve into SREs? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, totally. I, I, I think that we have to get over the idea that, that scripting is not coding. Um, and so it's easy to fall into this trap and, and, of saying, oh, I, I want to hire some coding operators, right? Basically develop, you know, people who spend all their day coding. One of the things in, in an operations environment, one of the things that you need to think through on SREs is that they don't stop operating. The operational experience, being on call, being having hands-on responsibility for running a system and learning how to dig in logs and troubleshoot problems and do postmortems, those skills are not you, you don't want to walk away from them in doing this you're, you're not hiring an sre or a devops person to an operations team to go solve all the coding problems for that team what you're really trying to do is bring the whole team up so that everybody can share some responsibilities and you might you know things are going to be a little fluid different people have different skill sets but if you're an operator you know you need to be able to understand how to script and automate and integrate and and you know, build those skills up and then critically invest your the employers have to invest in helping operators who aren't as confident in that have the time to to build the skills and the simplest answer is not that i think that operators and sysadmins aren't able to do this in a lot of cases they're not given the time to do it and 
we and this was a big thing about what SREs do. You have to create some breathing room for the teams so that they're proactively solving or automating, fixing problems. In, you know, so that they're not repeating. You know, oh, this broke. I'm going to go fix it by typing. You know, drop tables into the database again. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to go back and, you know, fix this problem, root cause it. And, and in some cases, this is SREs as simple as saying we are going to give our teams enough slack that they fix root cause problems. Um, and to do that, you have to be able to automate. You have to be able to go through it. And that might mean training. It might mean hiring a consultant to help get you up to speed and, and get some, some base things going. It might mean funding projects that do a more integrated approach to deployments. Um, we talked, that's, that's what Racken does. Um, and those are things where you, you come back and say, all right, we actually want to pay down this technical debt and fix, fix the, fix our operations environment. Um, yeah, yeah. that doesn't require a master's in computer science. Um, it shouldn't. Yeah. Have, have you found, uh, you know, cause a lot of times you'll run into the conversation, um, around, around automation where, People will will sort of you know, you know it's, it's the same same old sort of uh, argument about kind of pushing things off until tomorrow. But it becomes you know it's kind of well we'd like to automate that stuff, but you know the cost of learning the automation tool, spending the time to automate it. Like I could just have uh, you know Jimmy or Mary just you know you know write it you know type it out and make it work right now, and we'll just get it done. And we'll come back to it later. Like in making the case for you know investing in training doing the automation, you know, uh, putting things as infrastructure as code or whatever it might be like, have you found anybody who does a really good job or yourself to kind of make the business case for saying, look, here's, here's the way to think about it, or here's the way to pitch it to your boss, or here's the way to, to get the funding for that project to, to get out of this technical debt, if you will. Right. Well, there's always a specter of a meltdown around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well done. That's horrible. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, so the, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, this, this is a CIO director of engineering, director of ops. They have to, they have to start thinking through agility, keeping up with, with changes, right. Building pipelines. A lot, a lot of what I see DevOps having morphed into is pipeline conversations instead of tools conversations, and I think that's 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 where DevOps went. Um, the, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm going to DevOps days, besides the hug ops, um, which is awesome and, and we need it, we're also having conversations about shifting left, right? Which means I'm putting my my processes into a pipeline. I'm automating. I'm doing a continuous integration, continuous deployment pipeline, and and automating it. So the the, the DevOps conversations from five years ago are still very much there. They're just, they look much more like CICD conversations. Um, and so to, you know, there are questions about how do you convince an organization that they need to care about this. In a lot of cases, what what's happening is we're having conversations about building continuous pipelines. And that to me is the very productive way to start with this, um, where we're saying where you're, you're not trying to convince somebody we need to be more agile, um, or we need to worry about, you know, patching firmware and Raiden BIOS. Those those small battles are very very hard to win because you can't fix them by themselves. Um, so if you up level it into a continuous deployment, a continuous integration, to stop breaking so much and fight that battle, um, that's actually a much easier battle to fight. And you can explain it to a boss. You can explain it to somebody writing a check to say. 
all right, we can't, we have to stop solving all these problems as, as isolated problems. We have to start solving them as connected problems. And then if you come in with a, a pipeline solution, that often fixes things. Um, there's a couple other, and the other thing that we're seeing a lot of interest in is immutability um, and portability. So those those are other keywords that might not sound like they're helping you solve an, an SRE ops problem, but they're very easy for uh, you know somebody writing writing checks and budgets to understand you know how we're they're shifting left, how we're creating more repeatable operational environments, fewer crises, we can respond when the internet breaks us again. Um, because you know that the latest security patch is not the end of the road, right? It's accelerating. Right, right. Rob, what is your thoughts on, okay, flip side of that. So, you know, yep. a lot of this is, is okay, how do we get started and then how do we get things going? But then, okay, let's, let's think, you know, super long term for a second. What is your thoughts on, you know, people sticking around and, and retention and, you know, developing a system and staying with it because the other thing i tend to see a lot um you know whether it was the openstack community way back when or the evolutions of all of the you know technology waves we've been writing you'll see a certain amount of folks that that get something going and then th they realize hey i have value in this market now and then it becomes a little bit of like you can almost follow folks from company to company or, or, you know, process to process. And so how, you know, flip that on its head for a second and go, how do folks, you know, fight the long-term fight sometimes as well? Oh boy. Um, it, it's a great observation. And we were doing uh, a lot of, of SRE work, um, right. And, and writing and, and talking to SREs, uh, a year ago. And we, we, came up with this sort of SRE half-life problem, uh, which maybe sounds worse than SRE job half-life problem. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, what we were finding was that a lot of companies were hiring, you know, SREs or operations architects, somebody to come in and, and fix all their IT woes and modernize. And those people were lasting in their jobs about nine months uh, on average, which is not very long. Um, which is exactly what 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 I see you looking at. It's like, oh, I come in, I make, a, I'm going to make a big impact. But the reality is that they have a lot of trouble translating these great big visions of of multi cloud integrated hybrid data centers with synergistic containerized, you know, Dockerized infrastructure. <laughs> um, trademark that. Um, there you the, go. Uh, the the reality is that it is really really hard to get those things through an operational cycle. Um, and the, a lot of times the operational people in the organization who were there bef when, before the, that, that SRE architect was hired and will be there after that SRE architect departs um, do resist the change that, that's coming. And so what, what we really like to help people with and talk about is figure out ways that you can create tooling that helps the base level first. Don't try and add a thing on top and not fix the underlying problem. Um, this is, a, I'll, I'll, I love, I talk, you know, I've involved in OpenStack for a long time. And one of the things that, that I saw and my team saw with OpenStack was that while you could put OpenStack on top of an infrastructure and make things better, it, we didn't actually address running the infrastructure itself. We were trying to sort of hide it. Um, so VMware has done that really successfully, um, for a long time. And, and as people tried to do it with commodity infrastructure and open infrastructure, 
the lack of, of consistent operations really, really burned people. Um, and we ended up with, you know, deploying software that should have been very similar, but in millions of snowflaked ways. So none of the operators got to share le- learnings and uh, nobody really got accelerated benefit. And, and there's, I was listening to the pod cuddle um, about uh, the pod, the pod cuddle podcast about helm. And we, we, there, you were talking about helm and saying, well, first you fork your helm chart and then you start using it. And my head just exploded, right? This is exactly what we see happen in operations in general, which makes operations so hard and, and not survivable day two is we create these forks um, of operational practice and wow, I'm, I'm <laughs> it, it's and this people need to think about this very carefully because you can't just turn around and say, "Hey, make your operations environment look just like mine." You just if you're going to do that, just move to Amazon uh, or one of the other cloud providers. They're all good. Um, but uh, you know, the reality is that everybody's operations a little bit different, and then we have to find ways to do commonalities and do less forking. So, right, drive operations changes back into your infrastructure. Find composable ways to reuse software. Um, I, my one of my soapboxes here, though, is that you look at some of these great tools that that we see in market, really popular ones. Even you know, even something like Ansible or Terraform or Chef or Puppet, they're not really designed to compose. Uh, infra, you know, automation in a way that lets you keep, and the operative word is keep, borrowing pieces in, a, in an upgradable way. Um, we we work really hard in our, our we I run a project called Digital Rebar for Boot Pixie provision. Uh, we work really hard to try and eliminate that problem, but it's hard. We fight it every single day, um, and that's why operations doesn't scale horizontally the way we see other things scaling. Um, uh, yeah, I wish I had a better answer for that one. We see this as as a, a you know the, the thing that makes operations sort of suck. You're you're alone um, in your infrastructure. <laughs> it's a lonely, lonely job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we one of the one of my my pet projects is trying to get Kubernetes operate operators to work together. So we we run a cluster ops sig. Um, we're actually switching to a meetup format. Um, in some ways, to be joint therapy. <laughs> yeah, but. Getting somebody to come and talk about their operations environment is really hard because they don't feel like anybody else has the same pain. Um, and that that's one of the things that I think makes these day two problems really tricky um, because you own it. And as soon as you start to drift from other people, it becomes much harder for you to pop up on a Slack channel um, and, and ask for help. Yeah. yeah, the 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 old uh, adage of okay, I have this problem, but hold on, I have to give you ten minutes of backstory before I get to how you can relate to my problem. I, yeah, and then somebody says, "Oh, and you're using, uh, you know, Red, Red Hat or you know, instead of Canonical or Debian, and you're like, uh, I, I can't help you. Sorry, and you're like, that, that's not my problem. You're like, yeah, I don't right. know. Sorry. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's this is what makes operations really hard, and why. We need to invest in more automation. Um, you know, as you as you automate things better, you actually insulate yourself from some of those changes. Now, we were talking about making operators better developers, and this is part of the investment because I do think uh, operators have a tendency to not think through some of what they've what they've been doing 
from a they don't have all the computer science background and they need that training so that they can build much more reusable automation um, and then demand more reusable automation from their vendors and communities yeah yeah well listen rob i i uh i have a few other questions but i think if we if we got into them we may end up going into what would have to be sort of a part two of a show so i'm going to save them to the next time we have you back on um before we run uh, before we before we chase you off um what's uh what's the latest on rack n where can people you know what what cool things are you guys building these days or focusing on and, and what's the best way for people to kind of reach out and uh you know get you guys to help them uh, do some cool automation stuff so Oh boy, Rackend has been just—we've been having a blast. So uh, we're on version three of Digital Rebar, which is our—it's a GoLang-based uh, physical workload automation uh, platform. It's super lightweight, five-minute install type thing, very easy to learn, and then can do multi-boot cycles. So we're doing like immutable Kubernetes deployments as a as a reference workload. Um, it's one of those things where you finally—this is Gen four for us. We started way back in the crowbar days for people who, who've known me for a long time. Um, and we finally built this sort of easy-to-use, composable hardware automation. And, we, and we're getting um, great feedback in, in the communities. We're having a lot of fun um, sort of taking on new problems. And so when it comes down to you know, actually automating and integrating and, and helping people do you know, solve problems, it's been sort of neat to have people's get excited about ops. Um, and, and people can check it out. It's rebar.digital for the open source side of what we do. And then that'll take you into a place where you can easily extend uh, those architectures. Um, and there's a big, some of what we're talking about been, has been a big lesson for us in that you can't show up with pie in the sky, you know, hybrid multi-cloud. We, we, we stopped trying to do that. And in some cases we're like, we're just going to help you boot machines and not add a lot into it until you feel pretty good about that. Um, and believe it or not, that's a really good strategy for uh, operators who just need to do things like replace cobbler because there's no no support for it anymore. Um, it's real pragmatic stuff, and we like that's what we like. Yeah, it's it may not be uh, be sexy, but it, it it gets the job done, right? And then so. we've been playing with Edge too. So nice, uh, good. Oh my goodness, we think Edge is super exciting. The problem space is just fun. Very, very cool. Very cool. So, Rob, I just wanted to uh, close it out here and just say, you know, actually, you know, we always put a lot of show notes in, but definitely take a look at the show notes with this one. We we've got we'll have links in there to the 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 video Rob mentioned. We've got links to the books. Um, This is one definitely. If this is a topic that is interesting to you. Um, take some time and definitely go through the, the show notes on this one. Um, and, and so with that, um, for Rob and for Brian and myself, uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.